Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker and it's great to have you with us for the next three hours. Michelle, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. Happy Tuesday. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing well here at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. We're talking about our favorite fries. (laughs) That's such a random thing, but that's when fry conversations pop up. Is it 7 in the morning? You know how they say it's 5 o'clock somewhere? It's fry time somewhere. (laughs) You know, it's fries. People usually think lunch, dinner time. I feel like fries are one of those universal things that you can enjoy at any time of the day. Thing is, you can't reheat them. You can't just bring them oh, home and reheat no. it. Maybe, maybe the worst reheated food is the fry. I don't like leftovers, so I've never even tried to. I've never even attempted, Randy, to reheat a fry, and I wouldn't disrespect fries in that way anyway. Any leftover and under any circumstances? It is the weirdest thing about me. I, I just, I can't do it. I've never had leftover pizza, which some people say is the second day is better. Mm-hmm. It's just something, I, if it's if it was once one temperature, I don't like to reheat it. Like, the, the thought of reheating pasta for a second day makes me ill. It makes me nauseous. You know... It's weird, I know. It's very weird. It, turkey, like Thanksgiving turkey, leftover, the leftovers are the best thing. See, the, this is where it gets super weird. The turkey was once hot. If you keep it cold and you make it into a turkey sandwich, yep. maybe with some Miracle Whip, a little Swiss cheese on a Hawaiian roll, that I'm down with. Okay, good. Yeah, it's just then reheating it makes me, ugh. Freeze Pops is here. Colin is here. We're going to talk to Marley Rivera of ESPN at the bottom of the hour. Also coming up in this show, blues broadcaster John Kelly will join us in the blues booth. And Joe Buck will be with us at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. Tonight, ESPN TV at 6 o'clock. He's showing Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. We'll talk about that, what Joe's been up to under quarantine, and a lot more. I, on opening day, what would have been the Cardinals opening day, the Cardinals live-streamed Game 6, and I made a great cup of coffee, and I settled in, and I watched it, and it was one of the highlights of quarantine for me. So if you haven't gone back and watched that game in a long time, I highly suggest you do so, because it's truly one of those things that every time you watch it, you see something that you didn't mm-hmm. remember, and... It, it, hearing Joe Buck say, we'll see you tomorrow night, it brings back those feelings, even if you've watched it a hundred times. And you get a chance to see it for your 101st time tonight <laughs> on ESPN at 6 o'clock. Meanwhile, 2020 baseball, New York, California, Texas, say they're moving toward a pro sports return. Yesterday, Governor Andrew Cuomo of California, uh, the California Governor Gavin Newsom and Greg Abbott in Texas all said that professional sports could resume in their respective states in the near future. One of the most interesting aspects of this, and there are a lot of angles we can take here, Michelle, is that last week, literally a week ago, Mm -hmm. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, said, 
when asked about pro sports being played in California with or without fans, he said that's something that we'll revisit in July. Here we are on May 19th, and he'll say he's saying, yeah, in June, you guys can get up and running if you want. Which is kind of a head-scratcher. And didn't they extend the stay-at-home orders in California as well? They did, and the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, said last week, actually he said four days ago, and has not changed. I don't know if he's spoken to the media since Newsom did yesterday, but... The mayor of L.A. said he can't envision sports in L.A. in 2020. Well, that is not great to have two officials not on the same page. Mm-hmm. And if you're a sports organization and you're trying to figure out the logistics of things here, that's certainly not something that you want to see is that two of the highest ranking officials are, yeah. are not on the same page. But I think this is something that we've talked about with a lot of people when they talk about baseball potentially coming back, sports potentially coming back, about how wherever these hubs are going to be, you're going to have to abide by the rules in place in those states. So if California has extended their stay-at-home orders, what does that look like for potentially Major League Baseball players if they're playing in California? Right, and there are going to be qualifications in California. Here is Gavin Newsom. Sporting events, pro sports, in that first week or so of June without spectators and modifications and very prescriptive conditions also can begin to move forward and a number of other sectors of our economy will open up again if we hold these trend lines in the next number of weeks. They have to hold the trend lines and he said very specific uh, uh, in terms of rules for baseball basketball hockey coming back and baseball has very specific rules and rob manfred has been in touch with newsom and i have to believe that's a big part of the reason that Mm -hmm. he's saying this is because baseball has 67 pages worth of rules to come back to one of the things randy that made a lot of sense for me when florida was mentioned when arizona was mentioned when the nhl uh proposals were being floated and las vegas was mentioned there's Not a lot of logistics as far as travel and accommodations are concerned when you think about those places. When you think about Las Vegas in proximity to the arena, there's a ton of hotels. Same thing in Arizona and Florida in proximity to the ballpark. In Los Angeles, they don't have that necessarily. It's not as as neat of a package as it would be in those other cities. And I wonder how Major League Baseball is approaching that and, and how logistically that would work as to where players would be stationed. Because I think that would be harder to control. If, if different teams, if things were more spread out, that would be harder to monitor if you're Major League Baseball. It would seem especially as we start to get more and more traffic, specifically in California, mm-hmm. as they start to reopen. Because there are going to be much many more opportunities, you would think, to contract the virus if there are more people out and about. That's a great point about Vegas because... The hotel is literally right next door to the arena. Right. And in the NBA, will whether it's Orlando or Vegas, uh, everything is self-control- self-controlled. It's uh, Everything is in one space, a self-confined space. Baseball is going to be more difficult in that regard. It'll be easy in St. Louis because the ballpark's right across the street from the hotel. But in L.A., you have to drive around. You do. And, yeah. My my initial, at first blush, my initial thought was, great, the more states that are saying we're open mm-hmm. for business for professional sports, the more likely that this gets done. So while I certainly have questions about how this would unfold, I'm not going to poo-poo the idea because I want sports to return. And if you asked me a week ago, I would have said, okay, baseball's being played, but the Angels and the Dodgers are playing in Arizona. If California and New York are opening up, mm-hmm. then why should anybody else not? 
That's a great question. But then I think a lot of people might be asking, should New York and California be open? Well, that's, a, that's another question. But <laughs> with the testing that will be in place for Major League Baseball specifically and the way that Rob Manfred and his, his staff have set it up in terms of testing, in terms of the restrictions for players, it, it seems like it's a as foolproof a situation as you could have. Now, hockey appears to be, even though it's not as public, and I, I don't know that the hockey media, well, the hockey media has Bettman to talk to, right? Yesterday he had a conference call with his league's board of governors. Here's ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. No major announcements after that call, but the front burner plan, as you mentioned, 24 teams, four centralized arena locations, empty arena games to restart the season. Now, the wrinkle of this plan that we've learned in the last few days is the round-robin tournament that might happen at these hub sites. The NHLPA very adamant about trying to get its players some games before jumping into a playoff uh, format. The NHL could use these round-robin games for its teams to help satisfy obligations to sponsors and local broadcasters so they don't lose even more money than they already have this season. i told nothing is concrete about these plans. Could be fewer teams, could be fewer arena sites, but Gary Bettman said on Monday that eight to nine sites still remain in the running for these hub arena sites. So from that standpoint, they have some work to do, Mm -hmm. but I am intrigued by the idea of the round-robin tournament. It really doesn't benefit the Blues tremendously because they would have had the seeding advantage during the regular season, but the Blues are really good. So Mm -hmm. a round-robin tournament shouldn't bother them much. I do think you have to have each team playing the same amount of games as you head toward a playoff scenario. I agree. And I, I really think any scenario you throw up this Blues team, they're going to be able to adapt because they're that good and they're that malleable. But with the NHL specifically, with baseball, you, you've you kind of been hearing kind of the same build towards things. And while you understand that there's still some things to be ironed out, they've basically thrown their proposal on the table and we know what it's going to look like Basically, if it's going to happen with the NHL, I don't know how you feel, Randy. To me, it's been an up and down emotional roller coaster because one day you feel like we're getting really close to something happening. Then the next day, there's not a lot of movement. Then the next day you'll hear, okay, well, they're still considering this. But it just it makes me more nervous with the NHL that there's been whispers, if you will, and rumors, but not so much of a concrete plan. The fact that they're still considering hub cities at this stage of the game. It's like, come on, guys. And yesterday, it was two hub cities, and now today, we're back to four, I would think, and they're considering nine, like you said, eight or nine. Maybe it's just a matter of they're following the virus. Maybe the dean just leave them rather than they're trying to take charge and see what happens. But the other part of this could be that they just have disagreement. And mm-hmm. it, it, there are some teams that are going to be thrilled with the idea of a round-robin tournament. There are going to be some franchises in that board of governors that are going to say, no, I, uh, my team worked really hard to get the first or second seed. I want to take advantage of what we have already earned in October through March. Sure. But I think that one thing that the NHL or Major League Baseball, they're going to have to understand, especially the NHL and the NBA, if they resume it since they were already in play, there's going to be a team or a franchise that is not going to be pleased with with how this plays out. Whether it was the NHL saying, okay, we're going to look at the standings and we're going straight into a playoff format, a round robin, there's always going to be a fringe team that's going to be upset with how this plays out. That's just the reality of the situation because it's not going to look the way that everybody wants it to look. Now, everybody's going to lose a lot of money in this situation. Obviously, not having 
fans in the stands is going to make a difference. And Major League Baseball announced that they're going to lose more than $600,000 per date without fans in the stands. About $640,000 per game. And I do think, while I am uh, uh, somebody who agrees that if the owners are losing money, that there should be a partnership in losing money, I think it's pretty disingenuous for the owners to say, we're losing X amount of dollars, but then not open the books to the players. Yes, I... I know that this is a negotiation and I know that everyone's vying for what they want to achieve out of this. But I, I just wish that there was more transparency here between most, most both parties. And I know that in, in a perfect world, that's exactly what you would get. But in reality, this is a negotiation. Both of these parties are not going to do that. But I just think when you look at what's at stake for both sides, monetarily, long term for, for the country, what everybody wants to happen, it's in everyone's best interest to be more transparent with one another to get these moving. And it's interesting because whichever person that you talk to, whether it's you or myself, obviously Brad Thompson's going to have a different look on this. John Brevy is going to have a different look. The Bill DeWitt's going to have a different look. I wonder who has the upper hand in these negotiations because some people think it's the players, some people think it's the owners. And I found it interesting, Buster Olney was on Spain and Company and he was talking to Sarah Spain about who he thinks has the leverage in these negotiations. I do wonder if this is an opportunity because the players have this weird sort of leverage in, in this moment and that the owners stand to lose more than the players do for 2020. And so I, I wonder if it'd be, and I'm just having talked to agents and to people around the game, it would be a great time if you're Tony Clark, head of the Player Association, and you were to go to the owners and say, look, let's wrap 2020-2021 into the next labor agreement. Uh, we'll help you out with your salary losses, your financial losses for this year. But on the backside of this, we get some help on free agency. Uh, on uh, service time manipulation, on the tanking that's been going on in baseball. There is a, an opportunity right in this moment. So you'd hope that what Buster only saying is true and that Tony Clark would recognize that opportunity and say, okay, if we do in fact have some leverage here, let's go to the owners and try to broker a deal. That's the way I would approach it. I, as we said off the air, it's... The owners have no problem in making their house payments. Players ultimately are highly leveraged. Remember during the football lockout in 2011, there were multiple players that had taken out loans at 50% interest. Uh, Patrick Ewing used to say, yeah, we make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And they do. Players are, even if they're making six, seven, eight million dollars a year, many times spending up to their salaries. And... Well, I don't disagree with what Buster only says. I think at the end of the day, if this were going to be a stare down, if this season had to be canceled because they couldn't come to an agreement financially, players would suffer more than the owners would. I agree with you. And I, I think that the longer this goes on and the longer those checks aren't being cashed, that I think players hopefully will realize that. I would think so. And hey... This is a negotiation. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, I know we have a microwave society that wants every deal to be done right now. But the fact of the matter is, negotiations take time. And ordinarily, in a situation like this, they're going to go to a deadline and nobody's going to be happy at the end. 
the owners aren't going to be happy and the players aren't going to be happy with the deal they come up with. And those are the best deals. Those are the best deals. And I think you're right. We do live in a society where everything, everybody wants everything right now, but especially right now. In normal times when other sports are going on, we'd be talking about uh, different things. And this would be a story of the day. It's been the story because there's nothing else going on. And people are so desperate for this to get done because people are craving live sports. So it's under a bigger microscope than it would normally be under. Coming up when we return, Nolan Arenado has been at the tip of our tongues as far as a future Cardinal, but is there another guy that they should be looking at? That's next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. ESPN's Buster Olney was with Ribs and BK yesterday here on 101 ESPN and talked about the idea of player movement once baseball is back and rosters are unfrozen. There is an expectation among general managers that whenever the rosters are unfrozen, that's going to be like 930 at the stock market where the bell's going to ring and you're going to see teams looking to dump debt as much as possible. And this is just total speculation on my part, but it's a name that's mentioned a lot among general managers. They wonder, for example, what's going to happen with the Cleveland Indians and Francisco Lindor. That this is a you know an expensive player who's got some trade value. The Indians are a small market team. You know they don't have the revenues of the Yankees and the Dodgers. So once they get the opportunity to move them, will they basically just look to dump him and his salary to reduce the losses that they're going to take for this year? I think that's an equation that's going to have a real factor on the moves you're going to see once baseball gets restarted. And obviously, if the Indians would be trying to dump salary in a scenario like that, they aren't going to get much return for Francisco Lindor. If I were in their shoes, he's got next year on his contract, too. I think I would wait to see, and it might not work in their favor, but if you're going to give him up for nothing, Mm -hmm. I might wait to see what the projections for revenues for Major League Baseball look like for 2021. Maybe wait till December at the winter meetings and see if you can get a little bit more for the guy. To hope that maybe there will be some fans in the stands at some point, or or at least you'll have more of a concrete idea of what your finances will look like or what projected revenues might look like. And and I agree with you. I just, I love the visual from Buster Only there about you know, the bell ringing when Mm -hmm. when all of this is unfrozen. I picture Mo rolling up his sleeves, getting ready to make calls. And I hope that the Cardinals are are active on those calls. I hope that the Cardinals are looking at a situation and, and saying, hey, this is maybe someone we've coveted. This is maybe a spot that we need to upgrade. And right now we might be able to get a player that we have coveted for less than what we would have initially thought it would be. I don't see the Cardinals being a player for Lindor because of the fact that his contract is up after next year. That being said, when you look at the big money teams, the teams with the highest payrolls, the Yankees have Glaber Torres, the Dodgers have Seager, the Astros have Correa, who, by the way, I believe is a free agent at the same time as Lindor. The Cubs have Javi Baez, Boston has Bogarts, who they just signed a big deal to. Uh, Philadelphia uh, has uh, Juan Segura. They, they might have just gotten another... Oh, they got Didi, Gregorius. Uh, the Angels have Andrelton Simmons. So now you're looking at teams like the Mets, the Nationals have Trey Turner, maybe the Giants, because Brandon Crawford is so old, maybe they make a move because they have big money. Atlanta has a shortstop. So you would think that there would be a limited market for a guy like Lindor. But if I'm in the Cardinals' shoes... I'm going to put, because you do have to give up chips for either he or Arenado. Sure. I would be more inclined to look at Arenado. 
that being said, the Cardinals, we as we know, they abide by a budget. Their payroll projected mm-hmm. with 162 games and fans in the stands this year was about $165 million, which is what they had planned on spending. I know Arenado is a special case for them. I don't think Lindor is a special case for the Cardinals. I, I agree. And while I think Lindor is an outstanding player, I'm not so quick to give up on Paul DeYoung. When you look at Paul DeYoung, he had, what, 30 home runs last season? And what has plagued him? Fatigue. Mm-hmm. And if you're having a truncated season, I wonder what he's going to look like in an abbreviated season and what, what his output would be. When I think about Nolan Arenado, he just checks so many boxes for me. I know it's still a complicated situation and there would be a lot of obstacles to get it done but i think from everything we've heard up to this point the cardinals have the pieces in place that it would take to get the deal done with colorado this is a guy who is desperate to win he wants out of colorado Mm -hmm. and he even in the interviews that he has done had said i know i only have a finite amount of time left in this game i want to play in a place where it's going to matter, in a place where we are going to contend every year. He obviously has a connection with the St. Louis Cardinals because of Matt Holiday. We've we've heard Matt Holiday mm-hmm. on these airwaves talking about conversations he's had with Nolan Arenado. He would be such a perfect fit. He fills a need. And I keep saying this, if, if the impetus for Nolan Arenado to want out of Colorado is because he feels the clock ticking on his career, it's going to be heightened after this situation when you just lost X amount of games and you don't know what the, the future of your career career looks like. If if I was John Mosellock, I would try to take advantage of that and I would be saying, hey, we know that he's itching to get out. What can we do to get a deal done? He is, 11 years later, Arenado, what Matt Holiday was in 2009 when the Cardinals traded for him. A, a guy who had played in Colorado, questions about whether or not he could really be productive outside of that ballpark. Holiday was, and the Cardinals, I think they've done their research, their due diligence with Arenado and believe he would. Uh, Now, the difference is is that Arenado is under contract and Holiday was going to be a free agent. But in terms of work ethic, in terms of background, in terms of what they bring to a team, very similar guys. And if Matt Holiday is going to put his stamp of approval on a player for John Mozeliak and the Cardinals, I think that carries a lot of weight. And it should carry a lot of weight because he doesn't do, I've never really heard him do that, where he would vouch for somebody and say, this guy would be a perfect fit here in St. Louis. And the way that I look at Arenado is the way that we looked at Paul Goldschmidt. You you had a hole at first base. He checks every box. Now, I know a lot of fans are listening to me and they're saying he didn't give us what we wanted out of him last season. And okay, understandable. But you have to go back to the time the trade was made. We, when St. Louis were looking at, at the deal saying, are you serious mm-hmm. that we were able to get Paul Goldschmidt? And I think that Nolan Arenado carries that that same sort of um, value for the Cardinals in so many ways. And not that you are going to need to convince anyone to be watching these games once baseball returns. And not that you're going to need anyone to be convinced to return to the games in St. Louis when they're allowed to return to the games in St. Louis. But adding Nolan Arenado into this team is just another reason for fans to want to spend money, to buy his jersey, to watch all of those games. And I, I just think if you're Bill DeWitt and if you're John Mosellock and if you're Michael Gersh, you're looking at this situation and you're saying, is now the time to strike? Is now the time to pounce? And if you're the Cardinals, you also have to look at not just this year or 2021. You have to look at, okay, t- through 2027, what does our sport look like? And they have algorithms. They're looking at this, whether or not they're going to be have fans in the stands, what their TV contract is going to look like. Ultimately, the Cardinals are not going to put themselves in a position to lose money. But with the way their contracts are set up, they should be able to get a guy like Arenado. I don't think 
at least the Cardinals' M.O., has to not get into bidding wars. I don't think that they'll get a guy like Lindor with the threat that he could wind up going into free agency and they, they would have to bid for him. I think they want cost certain. I know they want cost certainty. What do you think the BFIB thinks? Do you think that at this stage of the game, May 19th, that they would prefer Lindor or Arenado? I would think that most people would want Arenado because he's professed his love for the Cardinals. He spent a lot of this time watching old Cardinal games and watching the freeze home run and watching what Albert and, and Matt Holiday did when they were playing. He's he, he's a guy that seems to be all in on St. Louis, kind of like Goldie. And isn't that exactly what you want? Yeah, that's you want that fit, and he, he fits what the Cardinals are. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN, we're going to talk to Marley Rivera. She has an interesting piece up, a conversation with Tony Clark, plus Bartolo Colon maybe coming back for another year. Marley Rivera next on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And ESPN's terrific reporter, Marley Rivera, joins us. You can read her work at ESPN.com. Marley, thanks so much for taking some time with Michelle and I this morning. How are you? Um, well, thank you so much, Randy and Michelle, for having me this morning. And um, I hope you guys are doing well under this pandemic. We are, uh, as the man said, we're smiling through it. We're, we're, we're doing our <laughs> That's best. That's what matters. <laughs> hey, it's you know what makes we can do. <laughs> right. You know what makes me smile is Bartolo Colon. I loved your piece yesterday. <laughs> I, I love the idea of him being back in the major leagues. And I don't think, Marley, people realize how good he's been into his 40s. It is absolutely true. It's one of those things, obviously, when I was, we were talking to him in a group of Adrias in the Cortes, and not only that, we were. You have to go back, right? When you're about to write a little feature or a newser, you know. I obviously have covered baseball for a really long time, right? About over 15 years, but you have to go look back at the stats. And I went back to look at everything, and you're like, "Oh shoot, he has been terrific!" Like it is one of those moments that you truly forget that over a 21 season career, how much, how many accomplishments he's had. He's not only like, you know, we know all these great Latin pitchers. You know, some of them in the Hall of Fame, like the great Pedro Martinez, he has more wins than Pedro. Now, we do have to qualify that with the fact that Pedro, you know, retired very young. And Bartolo, as as you guys read yesterday, you know, he turns 47 on Sunday and still wants to play some baseball. That's incredible, Marley. Um, Another one of your pieces that obviously got a lot of play here in St. Louis, and people should read it at ESPN.com, was your conversation with Yadier Molina about his future potentially without the Cardinals. And you had so many great nuggets in there and such great insight from Yadier. It was really nice to hear him be so forthcoming. And one of the things that he spoke about is his legacy, his place in not only baseball currently, but in the history of baseball. And I know that one of the things that you had discussed with Yadier is the fact that he's not ready to hang it up and that he is thinking about, hey, if I can't get a deal done with the Cardinals, I will wear another uniform moving forward because I still feel like I have stuff to contribute to this game. So I wanted to present this to you. Do you think if Yachty really understands his place in the game and understands his legacy, that he's thinking about what it would look like from a kind of a storybook standpoint if he were to finish his career in St. Louis? Do you think that's something that carries weight with him? Absolutely, Michelle. I think there's no doubt. It is one of those moments, and it's really strange. You know, you guys know this very well. 
being around the game, it's very strange to speak to a player that is so aware of their place in history. And, and, and actually, you know, seeped in reality. There's a lot of players who are, you know, who believe they have a, a place in history that maybe it's not the correct one. But to speak to someone like Edgar Molina, who has all these accomplishments, and we know what he has done over 16 years, and, you know, we know about the nine gold gloves, and no one has won four platinum gloves, and we know about all these, you know, defensive runs saved, and all these things that he has accomplished, he has this, this, this awareness of what it means to have 2,000 hits, what it means to go into the Hall of Fame alongside Torch Rodriguez. But what that means to Puerto Rico, right, to accomplish all these things, that it's really interesting to see him reflect on that, and it's surprising. You know, especially for an active player to just flat out admit it. I mean, that's Yadi. Yadi has never lacked confidence. And that's Yadi. He's saying, I belong there. This is something that I want to accomplish. And I want to be the best catcher to ever play baseball, Michelle. Marley, one of the things with Yadi that we love the most about him here in St. Louis is that fire, that competitive nature. Yes. And, you know, reading your piece, we we expect nothing less from Yadi than to say, I still have stuff left in the tank. And if I can't get a deal with done, done in St. Louis, I'm going to go somewhere else because I am confident in myself. But do you think that that confidence would maybe prohibit him from splitting time with a younger catcher and transitioning a younger guy into that role here in St. Louis? Because I think that's one thing fans here always wonder about Yadi is, you know, when the time comes for him to consider hanging it up, would he ever be willing to to play less? Because that's something that he's battled with with managers all the time. He wants to be out there each and every game. So do you think that's something he would consider? I have to say, Michelle, that when posed with the question directly, my first answer is I don't know. Right. And, and I am not afraid of saying I don't know as an answer. I think uh, there's two sides to, to be to the ethics of the question that you're asking. Number one, Yadi is someone who wants to be out there every day. Precisely. You said it. It's all about the fire. But number two, and it says it very clearly on the piece, all he wants to do is win. And I don't consider Yadi a selfish player. I believe that every time that he has been out there, he believes he is the best option for the Cardinals to win. I just don't see Yanni saying, if I'm no longer the best option, I'm still going to go out there. Because that literally means that you're thinking about yourself and not about the team. And that's not the Yadier Molina that I know. So that's sort of what I can offer to you right now. Sure, I understand. One other thing for you, uh, Marley, on Yadi before we move on. He is one of those rare players that people say when Yadi's out there, he's a catcher. He's the pitching coach. He's managing the situation <laughs> in a lot of ways. Do you think that managing is something you could see in his future? Because I think a lot of people here in St. Louis look at the way that he orchestrates things on the field right now and think that he would be a wonderful manager. Well, Michelle, we talked about it directly on the piece, right? Like the last couple of years, Yeti had told me that that was actually like a goal of his. He said, I want to become a coach or manager when I'm done. And, and I asked him again, I said, you've told me this before. How do you feel about it now? And he said, no. He said, the only thing that I want to do right now is be the coach for my son. And, uh, you know, if he does retire, if he does play two more seasons, it will mean that he will retire at 40. And he said, if, if I do retire at 40 years old, it will be time for me to just stay home with my kids and coach my son, who he wants, you know, who also wants to be a baseball player. So it is, you know, his young son. So it's interesting that he has changed his mind. I think that playing, you know, playing a little bit longer led him for, to, you know, right now to that decision. But he also left that door open and specifically said, that's what I think right now. I certainly don't know what I'm going to think in a few years. ESPN.com's Marley Rivera with us on 101 ESPN. Marley, it would be interesting if Yachty would get a contract and play through 2021 
Albert Pujols' contract with the Angels also ends after 2021. How about if those two retire after the same season and ride off into the sunset and into Cooperstown together? I mean, what would it be cool, right? The last time, and this is just from the top of my head, that I remember two Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers playing together with, you know, I, I had the, the honor of covering Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera. So I covered that team for a very, very long time as a Yankee beat writer. So it's interesting that maybe that's what could happen in St. Louis. Hey, we can all drink. You know, we would really like to see that. How about we see Pujols 5, you know, next to Yadier Molina? Why not? It would be really poetic. But then in the end, you know, that's us thinking as baseball fans with our heart. And one of the things that happens is that John Mazeliak and the Cardinals can only think about winning. Right? Like, the Cardinals are in the business of winning championships. They're not, they're not in the business of nostalgia. So as much as we like it, and as much as it would be wonderful, if it is not the right choice for the St. Louis Cardinals to win a championship, I just don't see it. Marley Rivera, what impression are you getting from players over the last couple of days about ownership's 67-page proposal in regards to health? <laughs> well, I think that they appreciate that it's very comprehensive. So that is number one. Because one of the things, we just uh, published a Q&A today. I was speaking to uh, Lefty Chris Sale. And one of the things that he was telling me was the fact that they want to focus on safety, right? Health and safety should be number one. But baseball is a business, and we know the dollars and cents are going to get in between any agreement that they can do here. And that is going to happen, and we know that. And that's already being leaked out there, right? Major League Baseball's position, the, P, you know, the PA's position. Everyone is starting a little bit of a, you know, taking their corners. But if we focus on health and safety, which is what they all say, and a 67-page document, gives you a little proof of that. It does tell you that Major League Baseball is thinking about health and safety. Because it isn't only about the players. You know, even if we don't have fans in the stands, which will be unfortunate, but maybe what's, you know, what, what needs to happen, you know, we also have these players who interact with their families, maybe at some point. They interact with the media. They interact with other people, with coaches, you know, with people in the hotels they'll be staying. So it is very, very important that health becomes paramount. And that is what the players are saying. The 67-page, you know, document, even though it looks really oppressive, you know, and it's really big, this big volume, it's necessary. And finally, Marley, you were at the Super Bowl in Indianapolis in 2012. <laughs> Michelle and I were, too, and the story came up in The Athletic. And interestingly, you and Michelle both grew up idolizing Madonna. And Michelle has her Madonna story for you, and then I want you to tell tell yours. Yeah, Marley, I actually was in an elevator at the convention center. I had gone down to our rental car, so I was in the garage setting and had run up to the elevator. And as I had gone to one floor, the doors opened and all these huge security guards get in and then in rushes tiny Madonna surrounded by them <laughs> to go up to her com press conference that she had to do. So it, I couldn't really see a lot of her, but I was wedged in the corner with Madonna in an elevator <laughs> at the Super Bowl. And then so once she got to the press conference, uh, Marley, take it from there. Well, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's really funny. You know, I'm 45, so I grew up listening you know, to Madonna's music. And I grew up in a really, really poor household in Puerto Rico. So it's not like I would ever had a chance to see her, right? Like it was something that it just wasn't going to happen. So my first chance to ever see Madonna was in a Super Bowl press conference, out of all things. And uh, they have broke me in, obviously, as a baseball writer. When things happen in New York, they need help, right? They need a lot more writers. So they, uh, and the Giants were in the Super Bowl, as we well know. And uh, so I went over to Indianapolis, and in the press, I was like, this is my chance. I'm like, it's, it, this is my only chance to ever speak to Madonna. I'm going to do it. So I pretended I had a question. It wasn't even like a real question, because I was writing a feature on wide receiver Victor Cruz, who has Puerto Rican heritage and used to celebrate his touchdowns 
with a little sound with hands. So I'm like, okay, this is my end. This is how I'm going to do it. And I raised my hands and they called on me. And I, and I asked her the question. And little did I know that then I was going to start dancing. And I needed to do some sort of play-by-play of Madonna dancing. And I looked like a 12-year-old girl who was starstruck. I've never been, you know, speechless in front of any athlete in my entire life, including like Michael Jordan. And now in front of Madonna, I can't utter a word. So it's really, um, it was really fun. And it's on YouTube. And uh, my friend Dan Brown uh, wrote this story. And, uh, and I was really thankful that he included me. It was a story about... Interviews gone wrong, but I'd like to think that interview went right. <laughs> That's fantastic, Marley. We always appreciate you taking time with us here in St. Louis. Thanks so much, and thanks for uh, the the great piece on Yachty and all you do. And we'll have you on again soon. Uh, thanks so much, Randy, and thank you, Michelle, for having me. Take care. That is Marley Rivera with us on One Hundred and One ESPN. And then you had another Madonna, right? Did you have another Madonna story, or just the uh, the elevator story? That's the only one I can think of. Okay. I had a Lady Gaga story at the Super Bowl. There's a picture of you with Lady Gaga, isn't there? That's right. Yeah. I I had to work for ESPN Radio the day of the Super Bowl, myself and two of my colleagues. We were tasked with getting the interviews on the field after the game. That was the Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl. And so that's a whole other story on how that went down at the end. But we were, we had all three never done it before. And we were very nervous about figuring out the ways to get from our media seats down to the field. And so we got there as soon as the stadium opened. Let's say it was 1 p.m. and -hmm. kick was at 7. I mean, we got there way too early but we wanted to get there before all of the media stuff happened so that we could get up to our seats and figure out an exit strategy so we did that we did just that we get up to the seats we figure out a way to get down to the field and when we get down to the field there's hardly anybody in the building at this point but we see someone at the 50 yard line two people out there and one person is a female one's a male and it looks like they're taking pictures and i'm like is that lady gaga (laughs) And sure enough, she was out there taking some photos on the 50-yard line. And as she was walking by, I said to her, like, good luck tonight. You're going to kill it. And she comes over and starts chatting with us. And my friend Allison, who works on the Dan Levitard show, hates getting her photo taken at at all times. She's the the Grim Reaper on the show. She literally wears a death (laughs) suit so she doesn't have to be on camera. And she's like, why don't you two get a picture together? And Lady Gaga pulled me in, a big side hug. And she's like, yeah, sure, come on in. And so hung out with Lady Gaga for a little bit. But then as soon as I separated from her, all the other media people that were kind of down there realized who it was oh. and they bum rushed her. But I got to tell you, she was so gracious. She hung out with everybody. She talked to everybody, took pictures with everybody. She was amazing. That's a cool memory to have, isn't it? Yep, That's because great. I couldn't believe that it was, it was just her and one other person. Yeah. You'd think that here's the Super Bowl halftime performers, one of the biggest stars in the world. You'd think she'd be surrounded by 30 bodyguards, mm-hmm. but no, she was just hanging out. Coming up, get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Freeze Pops will have Take It or Leave It next on 101. ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Later on in the show, we want to hear from you with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. You can download that 101 ESPN app for nothing. It's free, Michelle. People just go to uh, the Google Store or go to their iTunes Store and download the 101 ESPN app, and they can send us a mic drop. Arenado or Lindor, if you have the choice, if you're the Cardinals and you're Mo, who you... And you know, know that the Cardinals love listening to this show, Randy. So if, if you make your voice heard, they're probably going to listen to it. The, the BFIB <laughs> don't realize the power that they have within that organization because the Cardinals don't want to play before no fans this year. 
Oh, maybe they have to, though. But we want to know who you want, Lindor or Arenado. Yeah, with that threat off the table, right? Yeah. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> Tioli, Freeze Pops, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Had a bagel for breakfast. Nice. Feeling good, feeling full. Uh, so I'm ready to roll. All right, let's do it. Carbo-loaded. <laughs> Speaking of carbo-loading, uh, you guys asked Marley Rivera about Bartolo Colon, the big sexy. So <laughs> I'm just going to pose the question to you guys. The Cardinals should sign Bartolo Colon. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I'm going to leave that. He should get a job in Major League Baseball. But I was thinking about this last week, Michelle, and we talked about it with John Brevia. The Cardinals not only have six, at least six viable Major League starters, but if they want to piggyback each of their starters to get six innings in each game right off the bat, they can do that very, very easily. They they have enough depth that I don't think that Bartolo Colon would be a fit here. They, they have eight better starters than Bartolo Colon. Now, you're thinking about it, Randy, from a logical standpoint. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it from a selfish standpoint, and I want to see Big Sexy wearing the birds on the bat. I'm taking it. If he'll hit a home run, (laughs) it's a different animal. The home run, I think Gary Cohen said it was the greatest event in the history of sports (laughs) when he hit it. But no, I'm I'm not going to do that for a four. Okay, maybe we should have a 47-year-old on the team. It's Big Sexy! (laughs) From the 913, if the Cardinals get Nolan Arenado from that point forward, if you're a Cardinals fan, you look forward to the Rockies' next big star they develop because we've gotten Walker, Holiday, and Arenado. Yeah, you got to take that. You got to take it. It's it's almost like, thank you, Colorado, for being the Cardinals' elevated farm system in a way. It used to be back in the day for the Yankees, the Kansas City A's were kind of considered their farm system because they would trade stars to the Yankees all the time. Yeah, they could be our version of the Kansas City A's. It is amazing that the Cardinals never got Troy Tulowitzki. It's fortunate that they didn't, but man, they were tied to Tulo for a long time. Oh my gosh. Do you think that the Cardinals and Arenado, the rumors that exist there, are more or less than what we've heard about Tulo? Because it felt like the Tulo thing was never ending. It seems like the Tulo thing was longer, but these are more intense. It seems like there's just a belief among people in the industry that the Cardinals are going to wind up with Arenado. From the 314, the Cardinals getting Arenado means the team won't spend money to keep Flaherty. Take it or leave it. I'm going to leave that. And all of this is going to be dependent, obviously, Michelle, on what the revenues are and whether or not fans are allowed in the stands and how many fans come back. But the Cardinals and Bill DeWitt, when we were in spring training, said it best. He said, I used to go into Tony's office and say, you know, I know you're really upset about this game tonight. And Tony would say, yeah. And DeWitt would say, yeah, I am too. But I'm also concerned about games three and four and five and six years down the road, not just tonight. Bill DeWitt and John Mozeliak are looking way ahead. And they have an, they know what they're going to have to pay Flaherty. And that's part and parcel of what they do now. In the contracts that they structure and stagger, everything is going to be geared towards signing those young players when they have to do so. I would like to think that the Cardinals will do 
I mean, there there certainly is a stop sign at some point, but they're going to do whatever they need to do to secure the future of Jack Flaherty here in St. Louis. I, what are the Cardinals? What has been their calling card for a long time? Dominant starting pitching. And knowing that, you know, Adam Wainwright, he, the end of the road is near at some point, and that Jack Flaherty has not only from an anchor standpoint, from an ace standpoint, assumed the role that the Cardinals wanted him to, he's done so from a leadership standpoint mm-hmm. as well. And the way that he is and his competitive nature and the way he approaches his, the game, if he's your number one, that permeates through the rest of the rotation. He's the standard setter. And so I think that they understand the value that he brings in so many ways to this franchise and that they're not going to let him go. Take it or leave it from the 314. Since watching the Korean Baseball League, the MLB needs to adopt a major bat flipping. I'm going to take that. I've always been pro bat flipping. I, I never understood the it's disrespectful to the pitcher. Then guess what? Throw a better pitch. I think it brings it, it brings uh, an entertainment uh, wrinkle to baseball that they could use. I love a good bat flip, Randy. I want bat flips to be a product of the emotion of hitting a home run. I think as much as I like the NFL celebrations, the choreographed celebrations, do something and then react to it. And the the Joey Bats bat flip I loved mm-hmm. when he when he hit it out. I don't think the guys should have choreographed bat flips. Okay, when I hit a home run, this is what's going to happen. I think it should be a product of pure emotion. See, I wouldn't mind a little. Okay, I knew this was coming. I called my shot. Here's my two step dance that I had practiced days prior. Why not? <laughs> Thanks, Freeze Pops. Thanks, guys. That is Teoli on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Michelle and I will bring you the fresh take of this Tuesday on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.